Hello and welcome to The Outer Frame, the show where we talk about the films that don't get talked about enough because you don't know what they are. I'm your host, Jason Sellers, and on this episode, we will be celebrating Donnie's birthday by watching movies that you don't even know about because you're not cool like us, and they're all in black and white because we're the most hipster badasses you've ever heard of. Uh, the first film we're going to be discussing is The Saddest Music in the World. The second film we're going to be discussing is um, Sin City. And the third film we're going to be discussing, it's a little bit of a blockbuster, but uh, Clerks. Uh, we aren't going to talk about anything else because, fuck you, it's Donnie's birthday. But first, let me introduce the man of the hour, uh, Donnie Nelson. Wow, I didn't think you were actually going to say it, but that's cool. And the person with the most fried brain that I know right now, Riley Malumlum. <laughs> I also didn't think that you would do the entirety of what you wanted to say in that voice, but I also commend you, because I struggled not to laugh. That was that was excellent. Well, I do what I want, and I don't remember why we said I was going to talk like that in the intro, but here we are. I really just think it's because you thought it was funny. Oh, that's a good time. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so this is, uh, this is a first that the uh, three of us have been in a room and recorded an episode together. So if it sounds weird, that's what's going on. All three. Um, you two are always uh, on your end of Skype, and then always. I'm on my end of Skype, yes. Um, but now we're, we just got done watching three movies, so now we're here in a room. Figured we record here now, and not, like, later. Because yes. we still have the memories of the movies still fresh in our brains. We do. Right. And, and it's an experience this way. Truth. It's, it's so. an experience. One that Riley was not uh, ready for. It was worth it. It was Okay. It That's was good, good to hear. I feel like my brain is a milkshake right now. Mine too. <laughs> Thinking you could rub my head around and actually hear it like <laughs> splash. Alright, so let's get started with, uh, with uh, arguably the most interesting movie that we watched. <laughs> so... The way that we did this was Donnie asked that we each pick a movie that is in black and white, yes. or at least black and white for the most part. Um, no, but we'll get to that later. Okay. So, we are going to start by talking about the movie that Riley picked. And this is also the order that we watched them in. I don't know that I recommend that we, if you decide to do this double or this triple feature, that you watch them in this order. Um, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. So Just watch one at a time. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly idea. agree. Especially if you've never seen them before. Okay, so we're going to talk about the 2003 art house film, The Saddest Music in the World, which feels like a really shitty movie from, I don't know, like the 20s or 30s? Yeah, and it will look like that too mm -hmm. for most of the movie. Yes. Uh, well, and it takes place in, what, 1933, I think is what it said? 30, yeah. It, well, it's, it's just as the um, Great Depression is beginning. Yes. Great, Great Depression is about to hit, like, its full swing, but Prohibition in America is about to end. Yes. Uh, so it's, yeah. Yeah, it's... Somewhere around there. So, I have two things to say to start off this movie. So, one, when we were given the task of what movie to pick, I literally went to Google and googled modern black and white movies and this was the most interesting one that popped up and then it was definitely probably an interesting yes, movie it was, it was very interesting um and even though it was made and released in 2003 it definitely looks like a movie straight out of 1930 with its effects the way that the camera style is done and its use of not only black and white but the color that does 
appear very small in throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. No, and I think it was really funny because I don't know about you, Donnie, but Riley and I were talking about uh, earlier how when it started, I thought, like, I had to check again on the internet. So did I. I was like, is this just a movie that they found in 2003? Yeah, that was released. exactly what I thought. I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe it finally came to a DVD release in 2003. But no, it was produced, directed, cut, released 2003. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. It was based on a screenplay. That's what it said. I don't know when that was written. <laughs> no idea. Um, okay, well, I'm not, we're not gonna. I'm just looking at the cast on Wikipedia here. I don't think we should go into like production on the spot or anything like that. But it it is uh, very uh, for people who know. Uh, it's Mark McKinney who is pretty much the, the first person you see in the film. Yep. And he is a major part. He is one of the kids in the hall of that um, sketch troupe in Canada, and this is a very Canadian film. Uh, for, from, uh, and like, yeah, they're even from uh, Canada. Mark McKinney, Mark Kinney is, he is a, um, he is a Canadian who, by all intents and purposes, only identifies as an American, mm -hmm. and he wants to do American productions in, like, New York. And, so that's and he's much... broke currently. Yes. I, I feel like we could spend the full 20 minutes just trying to figure out, or just trying to explain the plot of this movie. Uh -huh. And uh, to cut down on time, I'm just going to go ahead and say that this film is about a music contest. It is a music contest, <laughs> yes. Essentially, it, it relates to the title. Yep. They are people from all over the world who are trying to compose and perform the saddest music in the world to win money. Yep. That's that's the gist of it. Without getting any spoilers, giving anything away, it's literally the title of the movie. <laughs> that's it. Yes. And then all the characters that are uh, entangled in that ridiculous competition. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, I got a lot of things out of this movie, and I'm sure you guys did too, uh, in terms of stuff that I want to talk about. And... I think the first one that I, I want to talk about is the... There's one character who doesn't have any legs because a guy got drunk and sawed them off on accident. It well, there was more, an accident. It makes more sense. There was an accident the in... Yeah. There, was a, there was a motor accident. There was a car accident where she did actually get one of her legs crippled, mm -hmm. but then by the incompetence of a drunkard doctor, mm -hmm. he... Uh, their both legs were removed. Essentially, he yeah he cuts off the wrong leg in a drunken stupor, and then has to immediately amputate the other one to get her out from underneath the vehicle because yeah. she's pinned. Yeah, it's bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was it's alluded to she was either some kind of like dancer, performer, very nimble, yeah. athletic. Obviously, not just used her legs for walking, mm -hmm. and now she's reduced to this state where she has no legs and she has to be carried everywhere and she even makes the orchestra that performs at her like bar wear blindfolds so they can't see her mm -hmm. yeah so i think the biggest what the fuck moment for me in this movie was when uh it was it's so it's been revealed that she can't use normal um prosthetics yes prosthetics is the word i was looking for because she is allergic to plastic and wood, which never heard of anybody with a wood allergy, but okay. 
So this guy decides to make the the guy that I believe was the guy that cut off her leg, right? Yeah. Makes her glass legs, which do not move; they just like attach to her stumps, yeah. essentially. Yep. And fills them with beer, and then she just kind of walks around on those. Well, and she's given like new life when that happens. That's about halfway through the movie, where. The glass legs are gifted to her. She attaches them mm-hmm. and basically just like it, she flaunts them, which as she should because she's a woman who's been without the not only the use of her legs but any legs for an extended period of time, and she finally has the ability to walk again because for some reason these glass legs support her weight entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, with beer and then with be- with with her own hollow. beer, her, yeah. her own beer because she has her own like. Uh, I don't want to say brewery, but, like, the bar that she operates sells its own beer, and that's what is in the glass legs, is her mm-hmm. own beer. Because it's, they are in Canada, they're yeah. not they're not prohibited, it's, well, they're not in America, so she can make it, and everybody is so uh, jealous of the competition, where after every time someone wins, they have to take a bath in the beer tub. Whether they're conscious or not, which yes. is an entirely different point, but, uh... To say this movie was uh, strange is an understatement, I think, that we can all agree on. None of us had any idea what it was about going into it, other than it was a competition for the saddest music in the world. Um, The dialogue is a little silly, I think, even if they were emulating a 1930s, 40s flick. Mm -hmm. Very. It was cheesy. It was almost satire of what a 1930s movie was. Oh, yes. It seems like an extended skit. Yeah, but then, uh, not of the SNL kind though. Like I've seen, yeah. we've seen plenty of SNL movies, and this just seems like an extended skit of like I don't know, like I, Mark Mark Kinney is in it, so he's <laughs> I would say it's it's an extended <laughs> Kids in the Hall sketch, because it just has that kind of like, I thought he was just going to be a character in the opening scene. I didn't think he was going to be like the one of character. the main char- <laughs> the yeah. main characters throughout the entire movie, and he would just act like that. But then at the but he same, makes it work. At the same time, I don't know about you guys, but I thought there was a very... Um, that scene where Roderick and... Crap, I, I don't Narcissa? Remember. Yes, Narcissa, or Narcissa, whatever her name is. Um, when they have that conversation about how she's repressing whatever, the memory of their kid, mm-hmm. whose heart he has been carrying around in a jar. Um, preserved in his tears. Preserved yep. in his own tears. That was a really well-written moment, and I really liked their conversation. But then they would cut from that, like, these really emotional, meaningful moments to the part where Narcissa is like... I think she's introducing herself, and she says, Hi, I'm a nymphomaniac. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I'm gonna sleep on this ice cube. (laughs) Or even when they introduce the father of of the two Mm -hmm. main male leads, he's first introduced driving the cab that Chester gets into, and it's revealed that they're related when he's like, I'm... When Chester's like, I'm an American, and the cab driver turns around and goes, Then you're no son of mine. (laughs) Because you were born and raised in Canada, and I know you. And he... I was like, wait... That's what so just weird. happened? I thought that, like, was it a colloquialism? No. Turns out it was his dad driving the car. And he's Canadian. He is not from yeah. America. Personally, Narcissa and Roderick are probably the only two characters that are any way decent human beings. Yeah. Like, Narc- I don't know. Teddy's pretty good. True. <laughs> True. He, Teddy is begrudgingly he, put upon. He does his best, I think. Yeah, he does his best. So... 
What did you guys get out of this movie? I guess that's my, my, my main question for you. Because this is very much not a... Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. There were parts of it that were funny, and there were parts of it that I found very entertaining. But this is very much one of those films that you're supposed to watch, and I feel like you're supposed to like either have a response or that you're supposed to get something out of. So what was your response, or what, what did you get out of watching this movie? Um, for me, I think it, re- it was... First of all, you kind of struggle to relate the very end of the movie to the actual very beginning where Chester is seeing like a wise old future seer who tells him that if he doesn't op- like learn to open up and accept his emotions that he will die as a result. And he does. In the end, he he gets stabbed, lights the place on fire on accident goes to play the piano because he's so obsessed with winning the competition that he sings the final song and then burns to death. Mm-hmm. Which kind of fulfills the prophecy, even though the movie really has nothing to do with it until the be- <laughs> at the very beginning and the very end are the only two times you ever see it brought up. Mm-hmm. But for me, I guess it just took to meant that like if you don't deal with what you're repressing inside in some way, shape, or form, it will consume you. And in the end, you lose everything. Physically or metaphorically. And for Chester, it, it was literal. It, he burned to death. Everyone left him behind. He got stabbed by the person he loved the most. Even though he was trying to help her in the end. It was like the final confrontation mm. where he actually admitted to having feelings. And he immediately just gets stabbed with a broken piece of glass. Because right, it was, too, it was yep. too late, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's what I got out of it. Is just, if you... And to push others away when they need your sympathy, because he also does that. He takes advantage of people in their worst moments, and is a horrible, horrible human being, mm-hmm. overall. So I, that was what I got out of it, is if you don't show empathy to people who need it most, eventually it will catch up with you. Yeah, because sure. wasn't the, cause the singer, because uh, it shows that there's a singer dying when somebody's playing a piano, during the fortune teller scene, yeah, and then I think we're supposed to take that that was because it's Fyodor, Fyodor, who it played the father of the two brothers. Um, his wife died at some point during a performance. While there is a specific song that both the brothers know, that's what uh, yeah. Chester is playing on the piano at the end. That's the one that uh, uh, Roderick like. He plays on the cello. Yes. And has uh, Narcissa sing, or she used to sing, and then she came back and actually sang it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's all about, uh, at least what I took from it. I'm not going to say it's all about this, but mm-hmm. it's about um, the different perspectives. And uh, I don't, it, I'm not going to say it's all about family. I'm not going to go the Star Wars route. But it's it's one of those things that, like, you know, there's certain dynamics that uh, people sing maybe the same song, but to a different tune. It means something different to them. And that's... that's uh, but mostly it's just, like, almost like a comical farce uh, that just turns into a tragedy. Uh, yeah, and in it's, the end. Yeah, and it's just... Uh, it's it's not the feel-good movie of the year. I thought it was highly entertaining, though. It might be <laughs> one of the most entertaining films that uh, I didn't realize I'd ever watch in my life. So uh, yeah, that was good. even though it's very interesting, very eccentric, and it physically hard to watch for me, just because of the way that the camera is shooting the movie, overall, it is definitely worth watching. Like, it, 
it's it's something different to be honest it's completely different from anything i think i've ever watched before mm -hmm. so i think for me the uh what i got out of it was the idea that i mean i don't know roderick to me seemed like the character that was most put together in the traditional sense he was a sad boy he was yeah, a cop he, boy he was he, he was, was a poor was, poor poor man he was very sad but at the same time, he was also the only one that wasn't acting like an insane lunatic. Um, and that was because he was trying to deal with the tragedy that had happened. Whereas the other characters all had various ways of either blaming it on someone else, uh, ignoring it, or pretending it never happened, or just ignoring it entirely. And once he got Narcissa to start... Um, acknowledge because when when he saw her he was like hey you are my wife we had a kid together and she was like who are you yeah like... <laughs> and then and then when uh when her when her boyfriend when chester says i assume that's her boyfriend i assume they're boyfriend and girlfriend they're at least uh -huh. some kind of lovers yeah like... they never really nail it down yeah but when he's like did you marry my brother and have a kid with him and she's yeah. like she says something like well, there's a lot of people out there, and lots of things, different things happen. But he's a perfect stranger <laughs> to me. Yeah. And you're just uh, like, uh, okay. Oh, that's not an answer. Is there something medically wrong with you? Yeah. What's wrong with your memory? But then instead of Chester pushing that further, he just goes, don't sleep with him. And she goes, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> and he didn't seem that upset by no. that. Well, because at that moment, basically, uh... He was bar sleeping later, with the bar later. Yeah, yeah, came back to him with her new fancy legs. Yep. <laughs> they were so shiny and smooth. Mm -hmm. Liquidy. The thing that I didn't, uh, I wanted some continuity with is that both Narcissa and Roderick, not related, have the exact same bangs because they have like those separated, like almost upside down wave swooshes yeah. for their bangs. And I was just like, well, obviously there's a connection there. And then when you see the child, blonde like, hair baby. Yeah. <laughs> child, I'm like, uh. um, huh? Uh? Because <laughs> isn't the dad, doesn't, isn't he like blonde or like he has He has lighter hair. hair. Yeah. Where Roderick and Chester both have dark hair. Yeah, black hair. Yep. Yeah. Because there is, uh, spoiler alert, there is color in this movie. But yeah. It, it's, uh, it's very cheesy, like almost, uh. Like, black and white, colorized color. Yeah, that's what I was reading when I ended up doing just a tad bit of research throughout the movie. It, those colors, it said, were added to the effect of, like, what a Technicolor movie might look like in the era, basically. Like, mm -hmm. oh, we can only shoot this in black and white, but here's the little bit of color we were able to add in. And So I was like, oh, okay. It's a cheater's layout, I suppose. Yeah. But that's fine. You didn't, you didn't realize that. No. So... It's cool. It's no, cool. I it's did cool. not. I think that my... I mean, yes, some of the camera work is extremely frustrating to watch. Riley yes. is 100% accurate. That's weird. I think that for me, I wish that they would have cut out some of the bits that seemed like they were filmed just for comedy. A lot of the awkward lines of dialogue or... Like the how, how badly uh, the bar lady I can't remember her name, um, but how badly she freaks out when she gets her legs, um, 
even though they're glass and full of beer and look like something out of, as Donnie had pointed out, beer fest. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's my only, my real complaint. I wish that they would have kind of focused a little bit more on what was at hand. And I get that they were trying to replicate the 1920s and 30s style. That being said, uh, they could have made it a little easier to watch. Right. I didn't. I didn't really have a problem with anything. I was. I was a little bit more. Um, not immune. What am I kind of saying here? You're, you're um, above this. I'm so above this. You're able to just you wouldn't understand the, the, the cinematography. Process. I can just focus on the movie. It's, the pure cinema of it all. It's uh, it's the, everything's a little bit janky, from the yes. camera work to the dialogue the audio. to how the characters are trying to act. To yes, there's there's a certain uh, roughness to it um, that like I really appreciate about uh, like something of that era, something that's written in that era, something that's a little bit uh, more honest than you think it would be. Mm-hmm. Even though there are people trying to the entertainment is for people who are trying to escape and so there's a part of that but then there's also a part of like almost like direct honesty in in how it's presented and it's uh that's kind of what i like that's like why uh the wizard of oz like the books are like one of my favorite books because like everything is very innocent but also has like this very matter of fact honesty to it that like yes it's not uh it's not like trying to be grim dark it's not trying to be like spooky or try to like depress you or anything like that but it's not gonna lie to you and say that everything's okay yeah it's it's all just uh raw and as it is it's not uh it doesn't have like a gloss to it and that's why i think the cinematography was fine for me and the different techniques that they used like they have uh they have like um camera rear projected screens or the yeah projected screens when somebody's driving you can see it outside if you see it uh even like when uh roderick was in the balcony or wherever it was that he was watching narcissa on the swing singing that was uh, a screen yeah that he was watching that wasn't like uh, an entire like set right and like they could have they could have done something else but in that point if they're going with that then they can use that technique to suit the movie that they're making yes so that's why uh i didn't have such a problem with it and anything that kind of came along with it i was just like oh well this is not like this is not perfectly uh like centered or it's not like as steady as it could be or it's not as pretty or pristine as it could be but it's still something that's maybe a little bit more interesting than if someone had like locked down a camera or like tried to compose the shot more Mm -hmm. i think it's that's 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 why I think I'm maybe on the other side of what you guys think about it. I'm just so above this. It, it, fits, about it this. fits the time era for mm-hmm. sure. Like that's that part it 100% nails, which I do appreciate for despite expecting it to be more of a modern shot movie. Mm-hmm. It it even though I didn't physically enjoy it, it is refreshing to see something done so differently. Mm-hmm. than what you see. I mean, even in 2003, you didn't see things like that. That's not how no. cinema works. Mm-hmm. Or what. And I think it would, if it would, if it had been filmed, uh, like, any more, like, the normal way, or, like, um, a more traditional way of filming it in that time, with the stuff that they had, I don't, I think it would have looked really cheesy. Probably. 
Because I've seen, yeah, I've seen, like, newer black and white films that try to, like, like, engage that older time period, and it just looks really bad, because you know it looks really modern. Yeah. Like the artist. Yes. But everything's very distinct and high def, as opposed to, and you know it was shot on high, yeah. Right. Where there's, like, blurry parts, and, like, Cameras, like, Mm -hmm. tilted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So. So, I've. I know that we all enjoyed all three of the movies that we watched, so I'm not going to ask if you would recommend people watch this. My question instead is, since we watched this on Donnie's birthday, what what age of birthday do you think that people should watch this on? That's my question. Let's go. Let's just say 30. I liked it you a would lot say right 30? now, so let's say 30. All right. That, that, that's, a good, that's a good reason. That's a good age. Riley? Well, I mean, I'm 24... And I don't know if part of me would ever want to watch it younger, because I don't think I would appreciate it. So we're going to just shoot for 25. All right. We'll say, bare, like, 24, 25, if you're going to watch something on your birthday, do that. I would say when you're, like, 18, on your, like, 18th birthday, because you're, like, ready to go tackle the whole world, and then you can watch this and be like, oh, man... I, I, I don't understand what's going on at all, but I'm going to lie and tell everyone that I do. And then such a cinephile, because I watched this super unknown movie. Yeah! <laughs> it's from Canada. It's from Canada. <laughs> oh, what's that? You watched uh, Speed for your birthday? I only watched Canadian films. I don't know why I said Speed. <laughs> it's like the most random thing. Yikes. <sighs> I don't know why you watched cool. The Avengers. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Like, oh, The Avengers, with, Marvel movies. With, with Uma Thurman yeah. and, and Ray Fiennes. <laughs> that Avengers. Yep, anyway. that Avengers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What were you talking about? Oh, um, <laughs> that's true. You found me out. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to Sin City, which is the film that I picked, and is once again disqualified. Not in, <laughs> not all the way in black and white. But I allowed it. It's my birthday, I allowed it. Yep. I, I checked with him and he said it was okay. Yep. Begrudgingly. Yeah. <laughs> yep, the whole time we watched the movie, Donnie was just sitting in his chair going, just Color. Or he'd... Every time color, color came on the screen... He... Red. <laughs> Blue. Yellow. Green. Yellow, 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 black and white. Red, Flash red, tone, red. flash tone, flash tone. <laughs> okay. So, for those of you, who, I'm sure that most people are aware that Sin City is a movie. One of the things that you might not be aware of is... Oh, wait, it is? <laughs> one of the things that you Strangely might... enough, we read a graphic novel for, the la- for, for like a, an hour and a half, two hours. This is a two hour and four minute movie. Yep. That's what I said, so, according to Netflix. So, bef- the one thing that you might not be aware of that I find very interesting is that they only built three sets for the whole movie... Uh-huh. The rest of it is all green screen. And Riley has never seen Sin City before. Uh, also had never seen the saddest music in the world before. Also had never seen Clerks before. So this was Today a was a day. brand new movie day for me. She so didn't so. even see the movie she picked. Yep. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, I Googled it. ballsy. I, I Googled it. I was like, You I could have ruined Donnie's birthday. Are you serious? There's no black and white films that like you that had, immediately like, sprang to mind? Well, and then no, Mr. There, Smith goes to Washington. There, there was another one that popped out at you. Do you remember what it was? Because I do. It was... Why can't I think of that Good night name? and good luck. Thank you. Oh. That's what it was. I remember liking that movie. Me too. It was very good. I don't, yeah. 
I mean, we, we've moved on. I won't go on a huge tangent, but I literally picked a movie that it sounded like almost nobody would have heard of, just for the sake of doing something different. So, anyway, uh, talk about Cincinnati. That's good. So anyway, I told Riley that they, were, they only built three sets, and then uh, I asked her to try to figure out which rooms or whatever she thought were built. Riley, which three sets do you think were uh, constructed? The, well, the one that I mentioned earlier when I told you that I only... That the listeners were not there for. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> basically, I was trying to recover my brain from Mush because it was after we watched the next movie we're going Clerks. to talk about. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the one that I could think of that I was like, it probably is this one, or it was just a set piece, was when uh, Bruce Willis's character was in the cage in jail. Because... Okay he was running his hands along the bars. Mm-hmm. So I figured that probably isn't green screen or CGI. Um, not that I can outright think okay. of, because I feel like I'm just going to be dead wrong. No, that's okay. Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to force you to guess things, just to force you to guess things. So, the three that... <laughs> that's like, I, I'm like the one exception <laughs> no, to that just, rule that's ever I happened. <laughs> I was writing down what Riley had. Also, also, that... Donnie, please explain what you just did. Okay, so uh, Riley could only think of one uh, practical set that was built in Sin City, and she guessed Hardigan's Cell. and That is fully CG. That is fully CG. And also, she had neither one of the answers, so for two and three, I just put down loser, loser. Um, but also the first one's a loser, so I'm loser, loser, loser. <laughs> yeah, you're you're triple. You're uh, you triple know L. like on the yeah. on the Family Feud when you get that third X. It's yeah, unfortunate, that's me. but um. <laughs> <laughs> Let okay. me see Hardigan sell. So the three practical sets were <laughs> the bar, the bar okay, with yeah. all the characters. Yep. yep. It was able. They were able to get a better idea of. Uh, um, getting all these characters connected and uh, more through lines, it was better that way. Well, for... that, that makes sense too, especially with the lighting effects that happen in the bar, because it's not like the rest of them where it's just one color. Like mm-hmm. people get bathed in that golden yep. light yep. while also still being black and white. So I f- that, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. The other two were uh, Shelley's apartment. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And Nancy's apartment. Okay, I figured it was probably a small area, because why would you build a big set if you're only going to have three of them? They probably, yeah. Okay, that, yeah, those make sense. Yeah, a lot, a lot, those, I think were probably the only sets that didn't have a whole bunch of green screen to them, but like, everything is if, like, it's so green screen in this oh, movie. Oh, absolutely. One of, the, one of the most entertaining things that Donnie has ever showed me is... There is a you can watch Sin City without the green screen. Oh my! Without gosh. the special um, effects. Yeah, without the special effects filled in. So, it's pretty it's pretty incredible to. Uh, Unfortunately, so it's it's sped up. Yeah. I wish it wasn't, but they speed it up by like eight times or something. Yeah, or it's very something ridiculous. It, yeah, they they very much shorten the movie. I feel like they have to do that though because. For instance, uh, Mickey Rourke and Elijah Wood, their fight scene, they aren't even in the same room. Mm-hmm. They were never on set together. Um, so that would be, I don't those know. Those shots are still, com- are, are still composited together with those mm-hmm. two. It just shows the green screen on everything. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, Donnie and I have been 
at least I have been a huge fan of Sin City ever since I saw it the first time. Um, Donnie, I've heard you uh, gush about Sin City multiple times. Riley, what did you think of Sin City? I really, really liked it. I personally really enjoyed the use of color throughout, even though I was, for the most part, trying to rack my brain as to what it represented, and it turns out I was just thinking way too hard about it when we ended up Googling it at some point. Um, read some theories. Read, but I, I liked that because it was simple in its essence of like what, like Alexis Bledel's character, for instance, mm-hmm. having the blue eyes, and it was just to separate her from being different from everyone else. Like, oh, just pay attention to her. Her eyes are blue, everyone else is still in black and white. I'm like, mm-hmm. duh, like, of course you would do that. Make them uh, just stand out. Um, I liked the chronology of the stories told, even though it turns out that that is not the original way they were told in the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked how everyone was basically a terrible person, but they were doing it for what they deemed their own right reasons, and even multiple of those characters questioned whether or not what they were doing was the right thing, which made them a more relatable character, in my mind, almost all the way through. Like, everyone's motivations mm-hmm. might have been different, even if they were all murderers and... <laughs> bloodthirsty psychopaths in their pursuit of whatever they were going after, but they also were very human and wondering what they were doing was right. You know, your typical noir characters. It was, it was really good. I I, I really liked the movie. Yeah, same. Uh, I have a non-recommendation for you then. The sequel. If you really liked this movie, yes, do not watch I was, the sequel. I was told not to watch the I sequel. Would in fact, I would in fact watch The Spirit before you watch the sequel. <laughs> Because the spirit is, um, this was co-directed by Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. I always have troubles uh, with his name because there's so many R's and it's just so, so, so fluid, so easy to say. <laughs> um, but also Frank Miller, who was the original uh, author, right? And then he also did artwork too. Like he, yep. he pretty much did. Um, he had help, but this is, this is it's mostly his baby. Sin City is like his baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so he co-directed. Um, and it's and this this movie is almost literally a like shot for shot adaptation of the stories. As, as someone who has read all the comics, all the Sin City comics, like it is like every single shot, every piece of costume, every attire, everything that you watch and are like, oh, this is kind of dumb. Why do they do this? It's because it's in the comic. The part where Marv kicks a dog in the face and knocks it out, it's in the comic. <laughs> but I, I liked that because it it just hones like it makes the realness of everything just fit more because you mm-hmm. remember that it's a comic book graphic novel movie as compared to being a realistic quote unquote adaptation. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. makes it a better better story told. So uh I did just remember one thing um before uh Donnie I don't know if you had anything else to say about Frank Miller. Well, the the thing I was going to say was that uh I would watch uh I would watch The Spirit after you watch this for the next movie and it steals a lot of the whole like mostly black and white little things of color throughout mm-hmm. so Frank Miller pretty much steals that and then takes another comic book that was older and he applies the same style to it but you'll notice if you go back to that comic book it does not have that style it is more like an old fashioned mm-hmm. like almost like uh, the shadow or you know like it's just an older the cape, uh, the cape yes. <laughs> the, an older kind of uh, comic book but he does that, and it's not good. Yeah, I was and the say, character this time is so not great. Bad. It's bad. But also, like, Army Hammer's good in it. 
Yeah. He's, he does what he can with the role. Sam Jackson is hardcore hamming it up. And we were thinking, <laughs> yes. And we were thinking, oh yeah, and Scarlett Johansson. Yep. With, yeah, so they, yep. I'm the octopus. I have eight of everything. Yeah, that was so good. Um, so, but then after that, realized that Frank Miller didn't know how to direct a movie by himself. So that's pretty much a long time after that, they decided to do the next Sin City. And, uh, no. Yep. <laughs> and don't do it. All the, all the people have aged too much. There are people who have sadly passed away. Mm-hmm. There are, um, there are characters who, there are actors that they had where they could have brought back another actor or just not done that in the first place. And the, the stories they're telling were told in such a ham-fisted way. And <laughs> uh. Robert Rodriguez was a part of that. Like, he was doing... He was co-directing with Frank Miller again. Real quick, was, I, I just no. want to say one of my other big complaints is um, they overuse a lot of the things that you think are cool about the style in the first one. Uh, for instance, the the shot of Elijah Wood where his glasses are pure white. He has anime yes. glasses. Yeah, they do that with like every time they show people with glasses. Yep. In, Christopher uh, Maloney, I remember yep. for sure. Christopher Maloney and Jeremy Piven. And then the other one was uh, Mickey Rourke's makeup looks fucking weird. It looks bad and his hair is bad yep. because he's, he doesn't have his like flat top. Aww. He has like something that is like almost like a slick back that they tried to mm-hmm. emulate as the flat top. And then he still has like a mullet in the back. Yep. Okay, so it's I did. Not good. I just realized something a few minutes ago um, that I wanted to bring up when we were talking about the color because there is. <laughs> so, Alexis Blydell has color, and the color that her character has is she has blue eyes. And in the comics, one of the stories in, or some of the stories in Booze, Broads, and Bullets is about a, a girl named Blue Eyes. Who also has blue eyes. Wow! So, I know, right? And Colors. So her stories revolve around her meeting men, um, making them fall in love with her, kind of the way that Josh Hartnett does in the uh, "A Customer Is Always" or the "Customer Is Always Right" segment at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, she does that. She sleeps with them and then kills them in like horribly violent ways. And so I thought it was funny or interesting that Alexis Blydell also appears to be it's that you know a, a sheep and or a wolf in sheep's clothing type thing where both of them seem to be fine and then at the end of the day they're both the bad guy mm-hmm. and so I don't know maybe that has something to do with it, sure. that, that relates back to it in some way yeah. so that was something that I thought of that I just wanted to bring up it's cool so what's, uh, what's everybody's favorite story <laughs> Oh, so uh, just so you know, or in case you've forgotten, there is the uh, first little vignette, which is Customer's Always Right. Yep. Yep. Then there is the Mickey Rourke one, which is the Hard Goodbye. Then there is the uh, Clive Owen. Yep, Clive Owen, Dwight one, which is the Big Fat Kill. And then the final one is That Yellow Bastard, which is the Bruce Willis one. Yep. Customer's Always Right, obviously. That's your favorite? No. <laughs> no. It's very oh, short. It is very short. I did like... It's not my favorite, but I did like it, though, because it, it's a good intro to the mm-hmm. movie and to, like, set you up to, as to what to expect. But I think my favorite probably is the the one that centers around Marv or, um... The... the Goldie? Uh, 
Yeah, the one with Goldie or the one um, with Dwight. Okay. Okay. Mainly because I liked them both as characters because they continued to question whether or not, like I said, mm -hmm. what they were doing was right. But in the end, they were badass. They continued to get the job <laughs> done. And, well, they were just they were just exceptionally well written characters. Mm -hmm. Even though they were, it was it's totally ambiguous throughout the whole movie as to who's really the good guy and who's really the bad guy. You just mm -hmm. have the people that you're rooting for. No, and that's that's one of the things that's fascinating that that Dwight points out during um, uh, Marv's story, which is that you know Marv just had the rotten luck of being born in the wrong time. Period. Yeah, <laughs> he would have been an amazing gladiator or yep. warrior on the battlefield, and yep. he's I'm like, one hundred percent spot on. <laughs> and um, I will also say that my favorite my favorite uh, story is the big fat kill, and that's because of Clive Owen's portrayal of Dwight. And some of my favorite moments are when he is contemplating killing the cops. Yeah. Because um, that happens twice. Yeah. And each time he's like, I, I feel like Marv would have no problem just being like, you're dead. You're and, in my way. Yeah, get out. <laughs> or die. Yeah. And Dwight each time is like, well, I don't have enough time, money to bribe them. I can't run them i could kill them but what if they're a good guy what if they got family they're just they're just a regular person doing their job yep. like and i shouldn't have to kill them but what if i have to to get my job done mm -hmm. and uh, yeah that's it's interesting mm -hmm. absolutely i also uh think miho is one of the most badass characters of all time she's amazing and um she's uh she's pretty fun to watch yeah. in uh the big fat kill so mm -hmm. what about you donnie i would say the big fat kill just because it's, uh, it's maybe, yeah, it's like, it's like not the emotional heart of the film. Like, I think that would probably go to, I don't know, it probably is one or the other, but, um, it's either, uh, The Hard Goodbye or That Yellow Bastard. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I just, it's, it's the most fun. It's the most, like, twists and turns mm -hmm. in, in, uh, of the three stories, and, uh, like you said, Clive Owen is uh, really good at like trying to is like acting through that part of being mostly deadpan, but also someone who's like, oh, I don't like I'm I'm kind of like uh, I'm 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 walking on on like a tightrope. Mm -hmm. I need to make sure that this doesn't happen because he like he has so so many things that like he implies and like oh Dwight I didn't notice you with your new face like all this stuff that. If you watch the sequel, you'll know about it and you'll regret watching. But, like, in this movie, you're just like, oh, this character, like, used to be someone, used to do something, is a different person now. And that he, that kind of gets portrayed in all the different uh, scenes that he's yeah. in. Which is, gives it an extra layer of, like, this is a bigger world. Yep. There are rules to this world. The other ones are just kind of, like, very straight vendetta uh, stories mm -hmm. and that's it's more world building in the middle one than anything one of my biggest one of my complaints I don't know frustrations with why they picked A Dame to Kill For to do for the sequel is because A Dame to Kill For is the prequel to story to The Big Fat Kill where they explain uh, Dwight's kind of origin story his history with Gale uh, they talk about or like Minute is in the is in A Dame to Kill For so they get into who his old master used to be. Um, they talk about a lot of why Dwight had to have uh, facial surgery. They talk about a lot of stuff. And honestly, I 
don't think that you get any more information than you can kind of figure out on your own by just watching the big fat kill. And I think that just goes to show like how well that segment is written, how great of a character um, Dwight is. And not only that, but how great of a character Gale and Miho and um, Becky are. Um, I also really like this one because I know that Frank Miller's work frequently gets criticized for being um, sexist and misogynistic and don't get me wrong i am very much aware that there's a lot of stuff in a lot of his work that is very very sexist and very misogynistic however one of the things that i very much appreciate about um the big fat kill is that this is the story where the women get the most stuff to do um in terms of one affecting the story instead of just being plot devices um like I mean, at the end, they're the reason, they're the ones that save the day. It's not Dwight. It's all the women showing up. Yeah, to <laughs> be to be mm-hmm. honest with you, like, it was probably about two minutes before uh, the big fat kill really got into its story, where Dwight ends up in Old Town and he's going to protect the girl because he mm-hmm. sees the bad guys going after her, and Gail's like, "No, we we fucking got this." Mm-hmm. Basically, yep. Not even two minutes prior to that, I was actually thinking, "I'm like, I know this is supposed to be a noir film." I'm like, but I honestly am not enjoying the fact that every single protagonist is male and that every single one of them has to go save the day, even though, like, like I was I was actually getting kind of upset. And not even two minutes later, they were like, nah, watch this. And, <laughs> and totally flipped it on its head. Yep. And I'm like, okay, I appreciate this movie a lot more again, and I'm ready to continue watching. So. You know, as a... <laughs> Just something that I thought of that I find really funny based on your comment. Um, in the sequel, one of the original stories that they wrote is called Nancy's Last Dance, and it's about uh, Nancy trying to kill Senator Rourke. Which is the next movie. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, a, it's, it's bad still. It's, no, it's terrible. It's bad. No, but this is this is what I find so funny about it, is that there, is that there is finally a female protagonist for the story. It's all about her trying to kill... Senator Rourke, and at uh, the end of it, she is saved by Bruce Willis's ghost. Yes. <laughs> Not good. Okay, Which... now I'm never, ever going to watch it. But <laughs> no, I, no. You just solidified, like, you put that movie in the grave unless we were going to do an episode of the worst movies ever, because... There... You have to be on something to watch that thing. <laughs> I, I will argue, totally, that the uh, Joseph Gordon-Levin segment is pretty great. Eleven. Levin. Yep, Levin. That's his name. <laughs> and that... Lucky number Slevin. <laughs> Josh Hartnett, we're making connections here. Uh, that his segment is pretty great, and honestly, that Lady Gaga scene, I mean, I, I when I saw it, I couldn't believe that I said this, but, like, that scene is, like, the best scene of the whole movie. Imagine that. <laughs> Lady Gaga is pretty good. I know, right? Uh, but, yeah, so... We're not talking about A Star is Born. I'm talking, like, Machete Kills Lady Gaga. I'm talking about, you know, A yeah. Game to Kill for Lady Gaga. Yeah. Like, anything that's in, been in a Rodriguez film that Lady Gaga has done is, like... Gold. I have no problems with. Unfortunately, right. did not show up in Alita when I watched it, though. So, so uh, once again, we all really like this movie. Which birthday do you think people should watch this on? <laughs> and why? 14. <laughs> why? I don't... Okay, that's here, not I'll... when I watched it, but also, this is, like... This is very juvenile. Let's not, like, this is all, like, what, uh, like, a, a, 
pre or like in a, a pubescent or like adolescent boy kind of like wants to see and i think i was let down i think when i watched it the mm-hmm. first time um but then I, I i i grew to like it more and more but like that's because you're like oh there's like there's like hot chicks bro and and <laughs> There's, like, dudes being tough and, and, you know, all that stuff. And you're just like, oh, my God, I was so stupid back then. But it still has its place. I still think it's done technically well enough that that's an entry point. That's not necessarily... But well, I it's... feel like there's a certain perspective that lends itself well to being, like, at that impressionable <laughs> age. Well, no, and it's also, I mean, n- noir is a genre that is not done very often anymore, and when it is done, it's usually not done very well. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong, there are still good noir movies that come out, um, but they are they are few and far between. And they're masked as something else, yeah. like Logan. Yep. Or Looper. Or Looper, yes. Um, so, or Brick. <laughs> Which is also Ryan Johnson. Or I assume Knives it, which Out. Which is true noir because... <laughs> I want to see that so bad. I know, me too. Rick, which so, is, is true noir because you cannot understand anything for like the first <laughs> half of that movie. You're like... What is the fuck are they talking about? Where, what's going on? Who? Why are... <laughs> <laughs> Just get the when and how in there and you got all the questions. So, yeah. how is Brick? Why is Brick? Why is Brick? When is Brick? <laughs> so how is Brick? Um, no, I I think that what you're a lot of what you're saying is accurate, but I also just want to say like I'm I'm a huge fan of the noir genre, and I think that like when I really started getting into older like Chinatown and Taxi Driver and A Touch of Evil, like when I started really getting into those movies, I think I was around twenty. Okay. Um, and the reason that I started getting into them was because I loved this so much. And although I do agree that I think like a lot of younger teenage boys mostly would probably enjoy this movie, um, I don't think that I would have enjoyed those movies near as much. Because if I would have started watching them when I was like 14, I would have probably been like, this is fucking boring, why am I watching this? Um... So I watched this when I was 18 or 19, and mm-hmm. um, so I would say around then, because that is when I started getting really into noir, and changed my life forever, because mm. now I have a taxi driver tattoo. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Riley? Can't go back from um, Honestly, I kind of agree with both of your points, because I definitely understood what Donnie said, but I do have to amend the statement for me that it's definitely a 14-year-old boy film. Because 14-year-old me would have not enjoyed this movie in any way, shape, or form. Not even in the, I'm 14 and this is deep category. Like, Mm -hmm. she would not have not have liked all the gore and blood. Would not have understood any of the messaging. Would have not gotten any of the color referencing. Would Mm -hmm. have been bored and or disgusted. Um, But I I do agree with your point, too, Jason, that, like, it's... 14-year-old boy can watch this and, like, the machismo... The action, the drama, the Marv. Just, <laughs> I want to be Marv. No, the very I want to be surf- It's a like a very surface layer version of the movie that they would enjoy. Mm-hmm. In, for me, I would put my age at about twenty as mm-hmm. well for females and males because, for me too, that was when you start watching movies that you don't just see in theaters anymore. Mm-hmm. That you don't just see on the here look at all these fun movies at target like the, this is the movie your friend says you need to watch this mm-hmm. and it really starts to open your eyes to a bigger well, field of of cinema 
basically. Yeah, and you can see past all of the the nudity and the violence yes. into an actual. Yeah, you get good past movie. that final surface or that first surface layer, and you see the deeper meaning behind it. And it makes you want to go on the internet and Google why are the colors here, what do they mean, and you want to learn more about the movie. Where I feel even a lot of people now, with whatever movie they see, they want all the information presented to them because. They don't want to have to research, where in my opinion, even if I do have to do a little research after a movie, for me that means I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Because I want to know more about why the director chose to make these choices, and like what went into it, and the backstory, even if it's a stupid inside joke in the end. Like, haha, we made that yellow because yellow disgusts me. <laughs> like, okay, that's a fair enough response, but I cared enough to reach out after the movie was done and look yeah, it up. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think it's a perfect encapsulation of Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. <laughs> he, he absolutely, if you watch anything that he does behind the scenes, he is maybe the most passionate person. Uh, uh, he besides does. Besides Quentin Tarantino as being like one of the most passionate filmmakers that you can actually like see how he does stuff. Yeah. And you can see that like he absolutely, like he... Does like fucking he, everything he doesn't have movies. anything like even close to second to what he loves to do, and what he loves to do is likes to make film. But also, he is like a fourteen-year-old boy. He's like yeah. a prepubescent boy in like all the movies he does, and he would, and he still like he wants to take that stuff that he still cherishes, and like has like this very, like, like it wasn't until later in life that he like started doing like Spy Kids, right? And he has like very come come. Uh, uh, compartmentalized like like these these are the movies that i wish that i had seen when i was a kid when he's like making spy kids mm -hmm. and then these are the movies that like i went to go see when i shouldn't have had like been able to like this is a radar film that i definitely saw way before i should have um and so i think that's like i think it's pretty telling yeah from from who made it agree yeah robert rodriguez is great he's cool dude all right so Let's uh, get in. I feel like once again we could spend all day just talking about this one movie. I but agree. Let's get into another movie that we could spend all day talking about, and that I think Donnie and I have spent all day talking about at some point, at one point in our relationship. Uh, Clerks, yeah, <laughs> which for is sure. um, a, a, a huge. I don't know if I'd say it's a game-changing movie, but it, it launched the career of Kevin Smith uh -huh, for better who, or worse. Yep. For better and for worse. For better, yes. Not or. There is and. multiple. Yes. yes. There's a multiple choice question. And, and, <laughs> and there uh, is there, a right answer. There, <laughs> and they're both right. There's Yeah, there's a few right answers. So, uh, Donnie and I were both introduced to this movie, I believe, when we were in high school, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. And um, Probably in middle school, honestly, to be honest with you. For Donnie? Yes. So... This is the first Kevin Smith movie that Riley has ever seen. Yep. Um, I think that we were talking about this earlier. The first Kevin Smith movie I'd ever seen was Dogma, and then I watched Jay and Bob Strike Back, and then I think Donnie, you came over and were like, "You're watching the wrong ones. You got to watch this." <laughs> Maybe after I got through my uh, phase of watching, like I think Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back were the first movie that I saw from him. Unfortunately, yeah. and then I went back and was just like, "Oh, these aren't who are this isn't Jane Silent Bob, <laughs> like in clerics, like they're almost they're kind of unrecognizable." Yeah, I I, I feel like Kevin Smith just latched on to the the wrong part of what makes his movies great, yeah. and 
it almost became Flanderized, Flanderization, basically. Where, like, a character becomes, like, a stereotype of their own stereotype. It's like a parody of himself. Yes, like, when a character's even supposed to be a parody, all of a sudden, now it's a parody of a parody. That's why it doesn't work when when parody characters have their own spinoffs. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, in, in the same way that I can watch a bad Robert Rodriguez movie and still be enjoyed because I know that he takes, one, that he loves what he's doing, Two, he does everything on his movies. I mean, he does the cinematography, he does the editing, he scores the movies, he makes the music. Like, he does so much stuff on his movies. And in the same way, I can still, for the most part, enjoy a bad Kevin Smith movie because he's making a movie, he's always, he puts his friends in it, and he he makes a movie with his friends that they would want to see. Like, and there's just something endearing knowing that. But anyway, let's get back to Clerks. <laughs> Instead of talking about Jane Bob Strike Back. Uh, which the last time I tried to watch, I think I made it like, I don't know, two or three minutes. And then I started watching Chasing Amy. <laughs> so, Clerks. Um, Riley, what would you think of Clerks? So, uh, kind of going back to my initial thoughts after we finished the movie... I have changed my mind, mainly because my brain is not as fried anymore. Mm. I felt bad because Jason asked me, like, right after Clerks was done, and it's the third movie in a row we just finished. Like, Mm -hmm. we had been sitting on a couch for about seven hours. And he was like, what'd you think? And I had to hesitate and ask him, like, if it was his favorite movie ever because I was worried that I was going to tell him that I didn't like it that much. But now that I've had time to process and actually think about the movie... It's very enjoyable, and mm-hmm. I understand why it's a cult, why it's a cult film, and why it launched the career that it did. Because mm-hmm. it was like just the fact that it shot in black and white. Like I don't really know why it shot in black and white, but it does the film. It just adds to it. To be honest with you, um, the characters are super awesome, even if I don't like almost any of them because I think <laughs> they're all stupid. Um, <laughs> I just. We unintentionally picked three movies where every character in all of them basically were terrible people, mm-hmm. except for most, like mostly men. Yep. Except the for the females in pre or in most of the films are like okay. Yeah. Well, like definitely in uh, Sin City. Yep. And then Clerks, you said your favorite character was one of the one of the females. Yes. So. But I I uh, yeah. Yeah, it was Veronica. Mm-hmm. Mainly because she's the only one that had any sense. Like, mm-hmm. first of all, I started not liking Dante's character when he started freaking out about her past partners, even though he had just admitted to her how many girls he had slept with. Like, oh, it's not a big deal that he I sleep with all these. Yeah, like, yeah. just, and, to- and continues, to- and then his excuses later are like, oh, I'm not mad anymore because Randall told me it wasn't him, so I mm-hmm. guess I should be okay with it. And I'm like, or, because it's, I don't know any of them. I'm more okay with it. I'm like, that's a hor- still a horrible excuse as yeah. to why you're okay with your current girlfriend who has not cheated on you having sexual partners in the past. And anyway, no, getting no. on a tangent about that. Really, really quick, I just want to interject that we should totally do a show on Chasing Amy because if you think that discussion is interesting, um, Chasing Amy is basically a movie about that. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> And I love it. Like, I think it's great. I will happily admit that parts of it have not aged well. No. However, I think that for the time, it was very, very yeah. good. And is a very, very good representation of, um, of I don't know, we can talk about it later, but just of trying to explain something 
that either makes you uncomfortable or that you don't know how to understand yeah and show it to someone else but anyway sure. go ahead um i actually as some, as a person did not like randall but his character was very interesting to me because even though he was a shitty human being, like, he knows he's a shitty human being. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't pretend to be anything else, which I actually really appreciate because he's the one that ultimately gives Dante, like, the talk about, like, why are you still sitting here complaining about all these things? Mm -hmm. And Dante counters with, like, well, you're in the same spot. And Randall's like, yeah, but I'm not bitching about it. Like, I'm yep. content currently. He even amends the statement to say, right now, I'm good. I might not be tomorrow, but right now, we're good. Mm -hmm. um, I did like Jay and Silent Bob outside because they were <laughs> comedic. Olaf. Yeah. Um, Berserker. Berserker. Um, I didn't like the guy who winds up dead mainly because it annoyed the grocery store employee part of me of continually coming back and going, hey, can I have this other thing from you? <laughs> and since you gave me that, can I have this? Oh, and since you did this for me, can you do... Like, I was like, no. Mm -hmm. Nope. Get out. Leave. I'm sick of this. Mm -hmm. So, real quick, I do have one question. Or, I, I have many questions. I have one question I'd like to ask right now, which is... Um, when you... So, I, I'm sure everybody has seen Clerks. But there, if you haven't, there is a... Probably hasn't. Yeah. Didn't. Yeah. That's true. Uh, but if you haven't, uh, there is a part where, for those who have not, there is a part where, um, a guy goes into a bathroom with porno magazine, he's an old dude, uh, he starts masturbating and then he dies. They don't show that on the screen. No. Um, after he goes into the bathroom, he's not seen again, and then several hours later, uh, a female character comes and goes into the bathroom, and you find out that the light's go out in the bathroom at 514 514 every, every day very important reason, aspect unknown why but so the lights are off and she goes in and she thinks that it's Dante and so she starts having sex with the guy and then she walks out and then they realize like oh my god she who just had sex there? with somebody it yeah. wasn't Dante who is it and then it's revealed that it was the uh, old guy who went in and died earlier he's dead yep and which is information that you did not previously have so when it was revealed that she had had sex with someone, um, you said something along the lines of, I am not okay with this. And uh, my question is, did you think that he was still... And I'm not asking this to be rude or anything. I'm just genuinely curious. Did you think that he was still alive and that basically rape had happened? Or... To, to be honest, no. Okay. Um, mainly because of the aspect of his character was not addressed until that moment. And I think I said something to you, like, I was waiting for him to come back. Yep. Um, because my initial thought was when he, he goes in there and then, like, not even five minutes later, Dante and Randall are leaving to go to the wake. Yep. I think. And I'm like, well, they didn't. This is actually a movie that does Chekhov's gun really well, where, like, if you see something or something comes into play, like, a character comes on screen, even if they're just someone buying a pack of cigarettes, you see or them... Or a pack of gum! You see them leave. Like, they, yeah. they walk off screen and they leave, where this one, he, it goes to the, like, to the restroom, because it's an employee's-only restroom, and then you never see him leave. It's never addressed. So... Part of me, when they closed up to leave, I thought maybe, oh, it'll show, like, the shenanigans of this guy who got locked in a bathroom. <laughs> yeah. But then when 
Caitlin. Caitlin leaves the bathroom and is like, oh, I just had sex in there with some guy. I was like, wait a minute. Like, this this guy has been in there this whole time. But then, in my mind, I was like, well, the lights are off. And she she even says, like, he didn't make any noise. He didn't say anything. We didn't even kiss. I was like, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. But not in the fact that she got raped. Like, something's wrong with the guy, too. So... I imagine if that wasn't thrown out there, I probably would have been like, holy shit, like she was sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. But it's those little details just in the explanation of like, oh, he was completely quiet. And we He didn't even try and kiss me or touch me or anything. <laughs> I just got to do all the work. And she liked it for some reason. Um, it's really a stretch, but... It, it yeah. is, but at the same time, it, it solidified in my mind that like something else was going on and it wasn't some pervert... Mm-hmm. assaulting her like something happened especially because of how much time passed between when he's introduced and then shown again essentially being dead mm-hmm. so i still wasn't okay with it because it was a dead body but not <laughs> i mean you're not supposed to be okay but, with but it wasn't in the sense that i thought like oh my god she got raped especially okay. because dante said it and in my yeah. mind i was like that's not what happened because they yeah. wouldn't say because that. they said it exactly so, so that because, can't be what happened exactly it's kind of a contradiction as to what i just said before but it it didn't fall in line with the story that they were presenting so as someone who themselves is a uh, could, you could argue is a clerk uh do you feel like that this was an accurate representation of of your field? Sometimes, yeah. Like when people just come in and start talking to you about random stuff or going <laughs> off on you that something that's not your fault. Like the beginning of the movie, when it turns out it's the Truly Gum representative or Chuli, whatever gum. it is, Chuli's Gum, and he's going off on the clerk about how or on, going Cancer off on, merchant. on da- well, going off on Dante about like how bad or like. I'm going to stand here and talk to, like, you can't talk yeah. to customers, like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Like, no, you're not. Like, you can't do that. Um, or the fact that he turns this crowd of people on you for something that is entirely not your fault. Uh-huh. Because what are you supposed to do? Refuse, you can't, mm-hmm. as an employee, refuse sale to someone unless you are legally bound, like an age limit. Like, selling cigarettes to minors. You can't do that. But if someone comes up to you, presents an ID, and says, I want a pack of cigarettes, you can't tell them no. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. So that was an interesting one that made me mad, because I was like, you dickbag! Like, <laughs> and that happens! Or when mm-hmm. people come up and just talk, like the um, the roofer, who's just oh, like, yeah. oh, I heard you talking about roofer, even though it was totally something different, and he just tells you his whole life story about his how his friend got shot by a mobster. <laughs> that happens, too! Like, or it, the, uh, the, the guy with the... Uh... The Inquirer magazine? Yes. Like, it's... All of it, I was exceptionally related... I related to as somebody who deals with that on a daily basis because my grocery store is in a particularly small town with a very small population of many regulars. It happens a lot. I'm sure they're all listening to the show right now. I hope someday they hear me. (laughs) And I want to tell all of you that I'm paid to be nice to you, so please be nice to me back. Fuck I'm a, you. I'm ambivalent. Yeah. I work in customer service and I'm fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> Some people just are so lonely and I'm so sorry for you. You have my sympathy. And I don't mind. But also find somebody. Yeah. <laughs> That's what legalized sex are for. work. There's there's a there's a limit to uh to the amount of time I'm willing to spend talking to you. Like I will be friendly and then there's a point where you're just taking up my time and I do not want to be talking to you anymore. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, 
you're there to do a job and sometimes the job only has a certain extent you're not getting paid for the long conversation now I will say if it's at the very end of a shift this one Dante doesn't really have a choice but like if it's at the end of a shift and I just want to kill some time like whatever yeah I'll just let different. I'll just let a customer just yep. go on until they realize that like I don't really care. Yeah. I just am listening to them because uh, it's you filling time. You just wasted time. 20 minutes yeah. of my hour that I have You're remaining. Like, wow, really? Yeah. That's, wow. Yeah. I didn't oh, actually. amazing. Oh. I know, just like, just this shocked expression, like, blowing my mind right now, yeah. man. Man, my poor little grocery <laughs> store mine is gone. Yeah, like, what? Oh. But it, it seems like the very opposite for the people who are working at this convenience store yes. slash video store in which Randall is over it and he doesn't mind uh, fucking with the customers yep. and Dante is too afraid to do anything because he still wants to keep his job. Yep. Even though uh, Randall seems to have been working there as long as Dante from what I understand and or like I guess it doesn't really matter but like Randall's still there but and like there's no reason why Dan Dante can't do that but he doesn't because he's still stuck in his old ways and he can't move past you know, like actually doing stuff for himself as opposed to inconveniencing others yeah. for <laughs> for himself, essentially. Yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, so it's yeah, it's uh, it's this is a movie that um, I related to a lot even before I had a job, and after I've had a job for um, quite a while in the service industry, I totally understand. Um like uh where they're coming from and like i the the reason why the movie was shot in black and white was a purely budgetary reason yes sure. um because they didn't want to try to color grade anything and they think it would and that takes a lot of of money it, like takes mm -hmm. time and money people for to color grade because right. they did shoot this on film yeah it was not digital because this was in the early 1990s um and so um that's why it's black and white, but also I think it works on the other level in which uh, these characters are stuck in... Uh, they're not living in this bright, colorful universe, even though some of the characters are colorful mm -hmm. in their in their, in their their own interesting way. In their language. It's not, yeah. it's not... This is not, like, the ideal world that they want to be living in. This is a very black and white world in which uh, things are a certain way and they have to be this way. They're either black or white or gray in between. There's no real possibilities. So these characters are set in their ways. They're pretty much kind of prisoners of their station. And so that's, I believe that's mostly what the black and white signifies to me. Sure. And mostly why it kind of keeps it timeless. Um, as opposed to, which I think like is a detriment to the sequel in which they start black and white, and then there's something that happens that pulls them into uh, color. Sure. And the rest of that film is... It's it's more... Because uh, they start working at a fast food place in the next movie, mm -hmm. and it's movies, which you'll... Like, one of the fake brands that uh, is, is in Kevin Smith's movies, just like how you get red apple cigarettes in, like... Tarantino. Uh, Tarantino film, yep. Which once upon a time in Me or once upon a time in Hollywood is a has a great um, after credit sequence with that. It does. But and that's like super colorful and it has its own meaning. I don't think it's as impactful as this. And sometimes, you know, when you're financially strapped like that, then 
Like, you have to make decisions yep. that are, like, not exactly what you would have done, but they do add to um, the realness of, like, the making of the film. Yeah. Um, and it, it adds a character, it adds its own theme to it that maybe wouldn't have been there in the first place. Because if this would have been in color, I don't know if I would have... It's just, like, this is... It, it also almost is, like... <laughs> almost like more like a documentary feel mm -hmm. than anything just because it's uh it's it's the black and white is uh it makes, makes it, it more like... matter of fact yeah than anything else as opposed to um and that kind of brought that up when we were talking about sass music in the world too was that when it's black and white and it's like very plain shots and it's like the same location for most of the film like it's like this is this is very matter of fact it's not anything like special or like extraordinary or very like doesn't have any spectacle to it this is just like you're kind of there it, this is just as boring mm -hmm. uh visually kind of to watch as it is for the characters in the movie to like even be in that position yeah so in that in that in that uh aspect is uh i think very appropriate that the movie is in black and white and I always think it'd be funny if they colorized the movie, um, but you can get you get plenty of uh, colorized clerks in both the sequel and the the wonderful animated series, which um, I think everybody should watch. It's truly wonderful. It's it's maybe uh, one of the best uh, one of the best things that are animated that were dedicated to it, an, an, a, a major network. Well, I was, I was going to say, if you want a true love letter to fans of, of Clerks and the View Askewverse, I mean, I feel like most people would consider Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back to be that, and Yuck. I think it's Clerks the Animated Series, yeah. because there are so many references to, to things that happen, and but then at the same time, at the core, it's not dick and fart jokes, I mean, it's, oh, I don't know, it's so fucking funny, and Donnie and I quote it endlessly. It's bad. <laughs> Yep. Oh no, who is driving? Oh my god, Bear is driving. Yeah. <laughs> this bee. <laughs> That's for the one other person out there that, uh, <laughs> and the collective Jace that has watched Clerks the Animated Series. And to be honest, it's probably Caitlin. I really, <laughs> yeah, I really want to get those numbers up. I think more people should, uh, yeah, we buy should. the DVD set of uh, Clerks the Animated Series if it's still readily available. Even if it isn't, try to track it down. And uh, and be and have uh, certain people. Well, they they made another animated. Film, I was going to say be, great, so. before I uh, before I say or before I ask the uh, the question, um, I do just want to say do not confuse Clerks the animated series with Jay and Silent Bob's groovy movie, which is fucking horrible. It's not good. It's bad. It's bad. I won't even watch it. I haven't nope. watched it. I, I have, have no plans in my life I to watch have it. Tried watching it and it is completely unwatchable. It's there are parts of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back that I still enjoy. Yeah. Um, that I will admit to. I mean the the Goodwill Hunting two part. <laughs> there are other really yes. Is, it's so bad that it's good. <laughs> Applesauce, bitch. Yeah. Um, like that's Goodwill really Hunting two hunting season. Yep. There are a couple scenes in in Jay and Bob Strike Back that are genuinely funny, but there is nothing redeemable in what I saw of Jay and Silent Bob. Oh, it's groovy cartoon movie. That's what it is. So it's just all sleaze at that point. With all of that being said, 
Riley, when do you think people should watch this movie? What birthday should they watch? What it? birthday? This is a movie I think I would have actually enjoyed if someone showed it to me on my 18th birthday. Okay. Um, mainly because when I was 18, I was preparing to, you know, kind of jump into adult life. Like, granted, I was going to school, but I was going to a community college. I was looking for a part-time job to supplement my income so mm -hmm. I could buy myself gas and start to save money. Um, but it also was just kind of, like, that documentary feel of, like, a day in the life. Like, there was nothing super... That, like, I really had to stretch my suspension of disbelief to encapsulate, other than really when they continue to leave the store. But I think that's just because that's not something you would see now in 2019 or when I was 18 in 2013. Um, but it is, in my mind, something that actually probably happened quite a bit in the 1990s because it was lock and key doors all over the place and they had open and closed signs instead of the neon signs or even going on the internet to find out when they're open. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And the people standing outside of a door who are like, oh, it's not open yet. Oh, why? Because the guy's late. Like, they <laughs> they weren't particularly upset as much as annoyed mm -hmm. that it wasn't open yet. So anyway, um, I think this is a movie, or even on my 16th birthday, just because it is funny, but... Uh, it it makes you think a little harder, but I yeah. I definitely think um, it's worth a watch as somebody who is probably going to be like a brand new adult. Okay. So I I would definitely say eighteen. Eighteenth birthday. A brand new adult. Brand new adult. But is your answer like eight? Um, shut up. <laughs> Ten. Uh, yeah, because when it when I when I first watched this, I was a very young age. I think I was even like. Maybe even, jaded. like, uh, pre-pubescent. I want to say I was probably in middle school at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say... I, w I would say that you should probably watch this when you've been through, like, two years of, like, customer service. I would want to say, because you can, like, there's places that you can start when you're 16, so 18 mm -hmm. would be actually a really good age. Because uh, I feel like you probably wouldn't get a whole bunch of... You're just like, oh... Because before you work in customer service or most jobs, like, you kind of wonder why, like, when you go... When you when your parents take you to, like, Kmart or Walmart or another, like, retail establishment and you wonder why, like, there are people working there that, like, don't don't seem happy and you're like, why aren't you, why aren't you happy? You're working here. Like, kids don't have a perspective on that. And then uh, once you get a little bit of the grind in you, then that's when, that's when that's when this movie kind of starts taking hold. It's for people who maybe are working in the customer service industry and feel like they've been uh, tossed by the wayside or kind of like wandering, which I think is a lot more than people give credit for. And even people who go to college, even for your college, they might find themselves in a situation where. And I know a lot of the people that I work with, and I work at a, you know, like a retail chain that, you know, they, they went through four years of, of, of college, and they, they went for a very specific degree, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they're like, well, I guess I'm working this retail job now that I'm, like, <laughs> probably overqualified for, yeah. and then, but that's just how it is, and then, like, whether you like it or not, you're either stuck in there, or you just don't know what you're doing, like, with your life, you're wandering a bit, and you start that's when like that's when life starts happening to you man 
<laughs> you stop living life yeah. and you just start like almost like the river is too strong. You're on auto and you're moving. Yeah. So then you become either, you know, a Dante or a Randall where you're someone who wants to be the cock of the walk in the prison. Yeah. <laughs> or you want to be someone who is just like, well, this is how this is how it is. And that's Dante. Yeah. But he's he's like, but he has uh, like um, undealt with uh, aggression or pent up like issues mm -hmm. that he needs to deal with. But he, he does it. He deals with them in a way that he probably doesn't realize he's being like, you know, harmful to people around him. So in like. I think it's a very uh, formative movie. I think it's a movie that people should watch at about an age when mm -hmm. they start getting a little bit more on the perspective of like what date, what life is like when you have like a job that uh, might run you into the ground, and you wonder why, like you start making these concessions in your personal life, and then your professional life is going nowhere, and you feel kind of. Um, not that the system is uh, has let you down, even though that I think I feel like that's most of the, mostly the case. Um, that 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 might hit the, the hardest. Yeah, is around that age. I I would say for me that it would be like seventeen or eighteen, and it's the part of this movie that I really latch onto is the uh, you know the the idea that everything that you're doing at that age it matters so much and like the whole world is in your hands and hanging on you you have to I mean there's a part where they literally say like you don't carry the world on your shoulders and I feel like when I was that age that's very much what I thought like oh my god I've got the whole fucking world everything is like on my back and I have to do everything for everybody and just that realization that like no you don't like nothing you're doing is really gonna matter in even a year like even a couple of months you're probably not gonna remember it yeah. Um, and that just that that great I don't know, that great and terrible realization that nothing you're doing really matters at that time. Um, and so I don't know. I guess basically what I'm saying is, fuck you, you goddamn high schoolers. You need to be knocked down a peg because you're all fucking cocky, and I'm a grumpy old man. And fuck you. This is all true. <laughs> So, on that joyful note, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap the show up. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to the people that I normally thank. And uh, hail Satan and watch movies. Yeah, watch some movies. Black and white. Three in a row. Three in a row. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye.